microphone sounds nice when it is on. And this is a check one. I said my microphone sounds nice when it is on. Check two. Welcome y'all to another edition of Beyond the Rim, the podcast. Hashtag BTR. And I am your host, the Dudster, Nestor Dudley. And today, my guest is the executive producer and host of the community access television show, Let Me Tell You Something. Her name is Josephine Royal. Josephine, say hello to all the peeps who are streaming us right now. Oh, good morning out there in Radio Land. <laughs> How you doing? How you doing? As I always say, what comes from the heart does touch the heart, and this is true. <laughs> I affectionately call Josephine Joey. So during this podcast, I'll probably refer to her as Joey. So that's what I call her, but that does not mean you can call her that. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Today's show, right. today's show, we're going to be talking about history. We're going to be talking about the time period of the 60s, and we're going to be talking about events, bef- as Curtis Blow would say, events before eyes alive. And we know our history yeah. out there. We all know our U.S. history. The 60s, mm-hmm. the, de- the decade of the 60s was on fire. Joseph. Yes. Actually, it's since before the 60s. (laughs) (laughs) Let me put it this way. I grew up in the 50s, the 60s, and beyond that, and here I am. (laughs) (laughs) Again, we'll be talking about stuff before eyes alive. uh, Definitely. But the the three things that we're going to be concentrating on this podcast, we're going to be talking about the deaths of three historical figures in the 1960s. We're going to be talking about the death of President John F. Kennedy. We'll be talking about the death of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And finally, the death of Senator Robert F. Kennedy. First, we're going to start with President JFK. So, yeah. Josephine, where where were you when you learned that John F. Kennedy was assassinated? Well, uh, I was in uh, War II school. I mean, I was 11 years of age when um, he passed away. Um, I was in fourth grade. I was quite young. And uh, John F. Kennedy, I mean... We're sitting. I don't know what I was doing, but I remember sitting there, and I remember the teacher we had, and I remember the principal we had, Mrs. Rogers, and uh, she was quite a person. She was very unique. She was for the students. She loved them dearly. Um, she can't, she's quite a person. Teachers back then were they were real, and uh, and I had good teachers. Um, I mean, Mr. Thomas, I, I can remember, and I remember another teacher. I, I loved her dearly, but good Lord, she was a flake. <laughs> uh, no, uh, she was a flake, and she had a song that she had to sing every morning, and I, and I thought it was my imagination. I said, am I, I, am I taking this up? <laughs> no, she, she was quite different, but she was unique. They were all unique. They all had something special in that school. Anyway, moving on, that day... I saw Mrs. Rogers walk in. She was the type of principal that you could go and talk to her. Uh, And I had never seen anything like her since, except when I met somebody else. Um, That day we were sitting... um, Back in those days, you would talk... If there was a bomb, you get underneath your desk and you put your hands over your head. You know, Um, I... I've seen stock footage as that, and you know we know now in the 21st century. Well, we knew uh-huh. by the, well we knew by time that it was the 70s and 80s that that was like really silly. Silly if there was if there was any type of um, attack, bomb attack. You know, going under mm-hmm. your going under your desk and putting your hands over your head wasn't going to do anything. 
No, not a thing. <laughs> you were dead if you hit. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you were going. You, you, you were going. But that's what they had you do. Right. They had you practice certain things, and you would congregate in certain areas. And uh, but we were just kids. We did what we were told. Whether in, I mean, I went to Ford School in first, second, and third grade, come fourth grade. I ended up at Ward 2, and um, it, it was quite a school there. And, um, but that day, um, I was about 11, almost 11 years old, um, when he passed away. Well, I just made 11, and, uh, cause I was born in September. And to make a long story short, she came in and she was crying. And when the teacher heard, she was crying. And, uh, we were asked to stay calm as we could. And we were told the president was shot. And immediately we looked at each other, my friends and I, and we, you know, I remember putting my hand over my mouth. And I felt something inside, and I, I, I felt hurt inside. Now why, do you, we, now, why do you feel hurt? Now, why do you feel hurt inside? I mean, you were 11 years old, so, mm -hmm. you know, obviously at that time you didn't register to vote. I'm not sure... No. I'm going to take an educated guess that 11 years old, you didn't know what political party to identify with. You didn't know if you were a Democrat or a Republican. And that's a no. that's a pretty guess no. on my part. Maybe you knew what political party that you identified with. But, yeah. No. Yes. Well, I'll tell you this. I remember my mom and my dad, and, you know, the family, they would go to vote. And they made a big thing out of it. It was very important that you voted. Um, it didn't matter what you, you, it, they would make a big thing out of it. And uh, President Kennedy was the one they wanted to vote for, that I knew. And uh, they would talk about it, and they would talk around the table about it. I remember this as a kid. And the aunts and the uncles, and they would talk about it, that, 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 that. And um, so it was important they would go and vote. And uh, that was before he became president. And I remember that. And uh, they were—they knew this man, and he was very charismatic, and they cared about him. And it was not that they didn't care about anybody else, but they cared about him. And that what he was doing and how he, he was doing it, and it was not so much that the party, it was just that he was more for the people than anything else. And I, I, as a child, understood this because of the way, I mean, my our family spoke Italian, and I, I understood this. And so I understood and I heard this. So there was a love, a genuine love for this man. And so I heard this. And so when I heard this, it was like everything stopped. I mean, we were sent home. We were put on the buses. Uh, at one point, I had to walk to school. No kidding. And it was not a short walk. Let me tell you, I could take you there and show you. But then they provided buses for us. And uh, we were taken home. And by the time I got home, I, nobody was home. And so I, I sat on the front stoop of the stairs. And I sat and I waited and and uh, and I waited and and I just felt a sense of loneliness at that point. And then my mom came and she sat on the front stairs with me, and she put her arm around me and she was crying and I was crying, and we went in. And I remember my dad coming home from work, and it's like the whole. My world as a child at that point had stopped. I remember my brothers coming home, my two brothers, my older and my kid brother. And it was like a family member had been shot and had been killed. Then we learned that he passed away. I remember the announcer coming on. I can remember his face clearly and telling us that because he was choked up, and we were sitting in front, uh, around that black and white TV, and we were crying. And little did we know that was not the end. And it was so close 
to uh, Thanksgiving very close. And I remember how Thanksgiving was. Uh, and I remember when the train went by, there was silence as we watched it, in tears as we watched him go by. There was a brokenness in the United States of America that could not be retrieved again because of this man. Uh, I knew that I knew that he wanted to do something wonderful, but because of his death, and which we watched on TV, um, it was not going to happen. Now, as an 11-year-old, and you knew that he wanted to do something wonderful, mm-hmm. yep. what would a definition of an 11-year-old child would be, would be wonderful at that moment in time? What, what I'm, I'm about to say, don't misunderstand. There were, you see, where I lived, there were not people of color there where I lived at that time. And then later on, a family adopted a, a, a black child. And that was the first time I ever saw somebody of color. The very first time in my life. But they took them in, and to us, it made no difference, I mean, at least in my heart. Because my family taught my brothers and myself, the color of your skin makes no difference. It's who you are inside. That's what we were taught, okay? And But on TV, some of the things that we were seeing was a disgrace and at what, 11. And what were you seeing on television? What were you watching? What was an, what was an 11-year-old Josephine well, watching on well, television? It, it, my mom allowed us to watch TV, but then we were, um, uh, she only allowed us so, so much. But as time went on, but I'd like to stop right there because I'll get into that later. But I saw has on TV, you know, when he was assassinated, what was going on. And then I saw not only white, but blacks crying. And I, I, to me, I figured everybody cared about him. I didn't understand certain things at that time. I was too young. But I understood people loved him. And my heart was crushed. And time went on. And I was growing. I was getting older. And what happened in my mom, you know, I remember sitting around the TV on uh, Thanksgiving Day. They actually showed certain things. And we watched it, and that day, um, Thanksgiving Day was, um, for us, a sad day, although we were having Thanksgiving dinner, as we sat around the TV, usually we wouldn't do that. And that day we did. And I I thought to myself, because usually we'd celebrate with all the other cousins, aunts, and uncles, but that day we didn't. We were separated as uh, our own families. And I thought that was kind of funny, but we did that. And later on in the evening, we went to each other's houses because I had many, many cousins in Gloucester, aunts and uncles, grandparents. Um, And I thought to myself, what's going on? And inside, I, I knew something was happening, but I quite didn't understand at that time and then I thought, you know, my friends and I, my friends uh, would talk about it, and they had their own thoughts. I had mine, and we thought, well, you know, it happened. Uh, yeah, and we went back to school, and when we went back to school, and they thought, you know, if anybody wants to talk about it, you can, and which we could have, but... Um, time moved on another president was chosen and but for me as time moved on I, I, I thought about it every now and then in my lifetime and how it impacted me 
and how it impacted my friends and my family that day and what we were doing and how we were doing it. It was like the United States of America stood still. And it didn't matter who you are, what you were, it meant something. It didn't matter how much you had, how much you didn't have, it didn't matter who you are, but the United States of America stood still, and it didn't matter how young you were, and I was young, and there were those that were younger than me. I had a kid brother, seven years younger than me. I'm sure he didn't understand the impact at that particular time. And then things were coming out and kept coming out and kept coming out. And we didn't know what to say. And then, go ahead. No, no, continue, please. And then, you know, I got older and I began to see things. I began to see, you know, here it is. At 11 years old, he he died, I believe, in 1960. I believe. 63, yep. Yep. And, you know, by then, you know, I was getting older. I lived on School Street, by the way, in Gloucester, Massachusetts at that time. I was getting older, and my mother and father decided uh, they wanted to buy a house. So they did move to Church Street, but which was around the corner. I'm getting older now. And uh, by that time... Uh, things were changing. The town was changing. People were changing. Then I, I understood what was happening in our town. I'm not talking around the world. It was just that around me because that was my, was my world. Or oh, at times, and I'm going to say this because it happened to me. I used to come spend my uh, summers in Walden. Why, I'll never know. My mother used to send me to visit my aunt, yada, yada. I used to come, and I used to spend my time on Ferry Street with my auntie. So for the folks out there that are not familiar with the uh, geography of the state of Massachusetts, Josephine grew up in Gloucester, Massachusetts, 11 years old Gloucester, and she was just talking yeah. about that. And then she would come and visit in Malden, Massachusetts. So Gloucester is about 40 to 45 minutes north of Malden. So just to give some perspective, Correct. just to give some pers- perspective to folks out there that are just not familiar with Gloucester, Massachusetts and Malden, Massachusetts. So Yeah, uh, because my family extended from Malden into Burlington and we were a close-knit family. And uh, she, she used to send me to visit my auntie and then I would come home. And I was oblivious to certain things. I mean, there's a school where I used to play, and it was a park at the time. But there's no longer a park there. I mean, you know, I fine with me, and I turned around, I would go home, but I was growing. But I saw differences in my town. I saw... People, they had like a, a gang called the Hoods and the Mattresses. And every now and then, these gangs would had rumbles and big ones. And things happened. And I'm getting older. And things are changing. And I'm watching this now. Maybe about 13, 14 years old, and I'm getting older. In the meantime, there's a new president by this time. Obviously, um, the um, president that was the um, uh, vice president had taken over. And by then, I had my own views of President JFK's assassination. And that would be President Lyndon Johnson that you are talking about. Yeah, I have my own views. I don't believe... Um, the man that did it, Lee, Oswe, Lee ha- Harvey Oswald, did it alone. And I don't believe that he did. Okay, well, that certainly is a loaded topic in itself. So, you know, we can Yeah, I know. Yeah, you but know, that was my view. Has I got older and has I watched it sometimes? And I said, Dear Lord, 
this man didn't do it alone. There were others involved. And moving on. Yeah, move, uh, yeah moving on. This, you know, to, to discuss these three figures in less than an hour is um, pretty much impossible. So uh, we're just going to mm-hmm. have to um, uh, leave it there for this topic right now. And we're going to go into our first break. And after the break, we are going to talk about... Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So we're going to talk about his assassination. So on the other side of the break, that's what we'll be talking about. So I'm your host of Dustin Estadetly. Josephine Royal is the guest, and we will continue on the other side of the break. Introducing a breakthrough in time management technology. A whole new day of the week. It's called Someday. Ingenious. Perhaps someday you are going to go skydiving. Enter a hot dog eating contest. Maybe ride a mechanical bull. Now it's on the calendar. You may want to retire someday. Ready for that? You'll really want this. A My Social Security account at socialsecurity.gov. You can estimate your future benefits, plan for your retirement, and how to save for it. If you already receive benefits, you can manage them online. Millions of people already have a My Social Security account. In fact, someone opens one about every six seconds. Get yours today, because someday is here at socialsecurity.gov. Welcome back. This is your host, the Dexter Nesta Dudley, along with Josephine Royal, who I affectionately call Joey. Remember, I can call her Joey, but you cannot. In this segment, we're going to talk about the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So, Josephine, where were you, where were you when you heard? his famous I Have a Dream speech. I was right in front of the TV. How old were you? At that time, he gave the speech on August 28, 1963. And I happened to be 11 years old. And how did you feel about this speech? How did you feel about it? I sat and I was glued to the television. I, I was absolutely glued, and it was like he spoke to my heart. And I was a kid, I, but I was a unique kid. Uh, how so? How, how so? How were you a unique child at eleven years old? I was unique because um, I, I, I had a great deal of compassion, and I still do today. And when I saw this man. And I'm looking at him, I immediately knew there was something special about him. Something unique about him. Never mind that he was surrounded about all these people, but the words that came out of his mouth were real. And I never heard anybody speak like that. And I never have again. And was his real? I mean, and was his words real on a spiritual level? They were real mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And th- those words ca- came through God, through God, through this man, out into the world. I knew it as a child. You can't fool a child. And I knew that right then and there. And I stood and I listened to him. And as young as I was, I understood and I knew that I knew that when somebody says, I knew that I knew, this man was special. And I understood what he was saying because in part of that speech, he understood this man understood what was happening in his life. He understood that his life was in danger. He understood everything, all those facets around him. 
he understood that. Now, at eleven but years old, now at I'm, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you, but at eleven at eleven years old, did you understand that his life was in danger? At that time, I don't think so. But as I grew older, all I knew, I took my hand, I put my hand over his face, and I knew that I loved, absolutely connected with this man, and I loved him very much. And a love that it, that I can't explain. I don't care who hears me. But when I get to heaven, when I want to speak that man, because I know he's there. <laughs> I absolutely want to speak to that man. Now, when you watch this speech on television, was this the whole family gathered to watch him deliver yep. the speech? Was there any yep. con- was there any conversation amongst your family after? Absolutely quiet, quiet. My mother was crying. I remember that. My, now, you have to understand, my father read lips because my father was totally deaf. So my father read lips, and he could understand his words. And they understood. Josephine, how many siblings do you have? Uh, two brothers. Okay, so you're the middle child? Correct. Okay. So... You're 11. Your younger brother, did you say, was he 9? My younger brother must have been about 9 then, and my older brother's 2 years older than me. Okay, so... Any conversation amongst you three about the speech? Like, did you know where your brothers stood in terms of how they felt about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? Uh, I know my brother Pat cared about him. My younger brother... um, he was a little bit different, um, but I didn't know how different. But he married a black woman, so yeah. that ought to tell you something. Oh, your younger brother? Yes. And his name is? Charlie. So Charlie has himself a sweet tooth, and he married himself a sister. Good for Charlie. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> very lovely lady. Her name is Anna. Very mm-hmm. sweet woman. So now when you said, I'm actually glad that you elaborated, because when you said that your brother, Charlie, your younger brother, was, was very different, I didn't know what that meant, and I certainly didn't want to ask and go down a avenue. No, that... my family was, my family cared. And we were watching on TV at this time. People being beaten. I, I mean, we were stunned. We couldn't understand. We couldn't understand. Well, yeah, because of the color of your skin, give me a break. What does it matter? If you cut somebody, they'll bleed the same red. Why? And this was happening. Why? And this was happening all through the South. And, you know, you're going. It was happening. If there were riots in the street everywhere. We didn't get it. We couldn't get it. We didn't understand that. We didn't understand because of it, whether it was down south, up north. It, it didn't make any sense in our hearts to see this. We couldn't get it. And if you were white and you walked with them, you were going to get hurt. I'm curious, were there any conversations about what you just said about people of color being beaten and... Um, people of non-color standing with them and also mm-hmm. putting themselves in jeopardy. Again, you're 11 years old. Your Charlie is I, nine. You, Charlie's nine. Pat, this, Pat, Pat is yeah. 13. Was there any conversation like in school? Like, you know, when you went to school, mm-hmm. was there any type of social awareness in school, any type of conversation about what was going yeah, on? Yeah, there, there were some kids that had different ideas. Of, you know, of racial comments were alive and well. Okay, and by then I was older. By then, you know, after that, you know, you get older. And uh, racial, you know, I think I may have been in the fifth or sixth grade. Racial comments are alive and well. And how do you you feel hearing these racial comments? Because obviously these comments, or I'm assuming these comments. I didn't like them because 
I have uh, I had a friend. Her name was Nyla, and she had a, a, a skin condition, and she looked black and white. Okay, was Nyla uh, Nyla was Nyla a um, young African American girl, or was Nyla a non? I don't know what you would call it, but people would shun her. They would didn't want to be near her, and I couldn't take it. I, 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 and I'm going to myself, what is wrong with them? They didn't want her to be on the basketball team. They didn't want this. They didn't want... And finally, I'm like, really? I, I See, I, I couldn't take that. I didn't... In my heart, finally, it was time to choose to be on a team. And she was there. And they went to choose, and, and, I, and I'm looking, and I'm waiting. And, they w- and I said, if you don't choose her, too, forget me, because I'm not, I don't want to be on there. I said, what's wrong with you? And so they began to shun me. So no one wanted to be around Nyla because of the condition of her skin, or no one wanted to be around Nyla because yep. of the color of her skin? Uh, whether She had, like, two-tone black and white and they didn't want to be around this girl and I found that to me I found that like I don't get it okay I'm trying what's to what's wrong with you I'm trying to picture this and I'm sure there are some viewers out, or, or listeners out there that are streaming this and trying to picture this as well so I want to get you know back to, Michael well, Jackson well, he had that skin condition yeah like that but it was exactly like that but hers was worse Okay, so there was blotches. So she had some blotch. Okay, so, all right. Yeah, I, I believe she was black. Okay, okay. I just wanted to clear that up because... And that- so, and then to me, and I thought to myself, oh, give me a break. And I couldn't take that. I couldn't deal with that. And I'm saying to myself, okay, give me a break. See, I, I, when I look at somebody, I don't see their color of their skin. I don't see that they're Chinese. I don't see that they're... This I don't see that they I see that they're a human being. You even see that that they're a human being. You know, that's it. If you can't see that the people are human beings, we got a problem. And you knew this from the age of eleven, and probably even earlier than that. And this Probably is, because that's the way we were brought up. Right. You were obviously brought up the right way. Obviously brought up the right way. Uh, you know, we were brought up this way. And has even, you, you know, as I got older, we were brought up that way. I mean, if you look at, I mean, I, I can't tell you. And when somebody was hungry, we brought them home and fed them. I mean, what are you going to do? Somebody's hungry, you feed them. Absolutely. Now, how do you have another question for you? How did you feel when you got the news that MLK was assassinated? MLK was assassinated. Well, I got to tell you, we we were crushed. I, we watched it on TV when he was marching uh, over some of the bridge there. I was like, oh, thank you, God. God bless this man, because they, they were blacks and whites together, and I'm saying, maybe. I was older by then. I was probably about 16. Uh, and I was older by then. But when, but this man, I think he knew he was going to be assassinated. I think he knew it. Just when, where, and how they were going to do it, that he didn't know. And when they did do it, I was like, huh. I, I I I was devastated because when I heard his speech and I said and he said um, free at last free at last thank God Almighty free at last I I, I sat there and my tears were going, coming down my my face, and I was 11 years old back then. And then you see people being beaten, 
then you see all of this, and then you see him shot. Anybody steps up to speak about peace, not the peace that he was speaking about is not of this earth. It's the peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's that what this man was speaking about. But this earth cannot understand it. And then he was gone. Very powerful. I thought he was Huh? I was going to say very powerful speech and a very significant yep. time in your young life. So, Josephine, we're going to be going into a break. And on the other side of the break, we're going to go into our third part of this podcast. And that's going to be Senator Robert Kennedy. So, Nesta Dudley, Josephine Royal, we'll be back on the other side of the break. I am a statistic. I am the one out of three who will go to college. I am the three out of four who don't do drugs. I am the five out of nine who have a job. I am the seven out of eight who is not a teenage father. I am the 11 out of 12 who won't drop out of high school. I have a purpose and that's a fact I'm proud of. Everyone wants to protect our children from child sexual predators, and Protect Mass Children is working to do just that. Hi, I'm State Senator Bruce Tarr, the Minority Leader of the Massachusetts State Senate, and I'm working along with many of my colleagues in a bipartisan fashion with Protect Mass Children to be able to pass laws that have strong minimum mandatory sentences for those that would abuse our kids, and to make sure that when someone does abuse a child, they don't do it a second and a third and a fourth time. We hear about those stories all too often. In addition to that, Protect Mass Children is working to educate all of us on the ways that we can do things in our own lives every day to make Massachusetts a safer place for children. The first step to get involved is to visit their website at protectmasschildren.org. There you can learn about all of the legislative initiatives of this great organization and what you can do to make sure that Massachusetts is a safer place for our kids. You know, a mayor has the best job in the world. But the worst part of that job is getting that call. Another citizen has been shot. Another life has been lost. Another family destroyed. Too many tears. Too many eulogies. Too many funerals. Too many memorials. Enough. No more families to console. No more neighborhoods in mourning. No more makeshift memorials. No more guns tearing apart our cities. Demand a plan. Every resident in this country needs to pick up the phone. Washington needs to hear from you. Citizens, not lobbyists need to be heard. As a mayor. As a dad. As an aunt. As an uncle. As a mom. As a grandfather. Demand a plan. Demand a plan. Demand a plan. Demand a plan. Back on the other side of the break, your host, the Dudster, Nesta Dudley, at Nesta Dudley, if you're on Twitter. And my guest here is Josephine Royal, executive producer and host of the cable access television show let me tell you something in this part part three we're going to talk about senator robert f kennedy so josephine how old were you when he was assassinated he was assassinated i believe in 1968 mm -hmm. so i believe i was about 16 years old or so and he was assassinated the same year Martha Luther King was. Yes. So that was a double whammy. Right. Now, how did you feel about him as a person? I'm not talking about after he got assassinated. We can get into that. But how did you generally feel about the senator? I knew that he was the attorney general. I knew that he um, uh, he stood behind his brother 100%. He stood behind your FK. Uh, I I also knew that when his brother was finished being a president, he was going to run, and which he was going to start to run. And um, and I knew that in my heart. 
I also knew he was for the, um, he wanted to do something with racial. I understood that. I knew he was for the black people. I understood that. But I knew, I also knew he was for all people. I understood that too. I saw him in a way that meant a lot. Uh, but I also understood um, there were those that I think didn't want him in office, I guess. Um, it was hard. Um, and I knew he became senator, and I, I understood that. And, uh, but... Now, how did your family member feel about RFK? Was there the same level of love for this man that there was for his older brother? Uh, yeah. Yeah. They they cared about him a great deal. Um, I know that. Uh, so you got to understand where my family was come, coming from. Where, where I lived, we had, like, Little Italy and uh, Portuguese Hill. And what hill was that? Portuguese Hill, Portuguese, oh, you know, oh. Portuguese people, okay. Portuguese Hill. And Portuguese. that's where I came from. I mean, it's not like we didn't speak to each other, but that's what it is. And then certain holidays would be celebrated big time, uh, fiestas on one end, and they had their fiestas that sort of came not big. You know, this is the way that it was. I know, because my dad carried the saints. Uh, but that's the way that it was back in those days. I just don't talk too much about these things. Uh, but that's the way that it was. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the way it was in, back in those days. They'd dress you up. They This had a match. That had a match. That's the way the, the Italian was. And then they have this, you know. But that's the way that it was back in those days, as when I was a kid. They had Little Italy, still exist, by the way. Still exist. But if I go back to my t- uh, if I go back to my town today, do I really recognize? No, it's not like it used to be. But Little Italy still remains. It still remains. Let me tell you, it does. Now, do you remember where you were at when you heard the news that he was assassinated? Yeah. We were watching this. Mm. We were watching it, and we saw it. See, my family would gather around my aunt Annie. He used to live across the street from us. My aunt upstairs, and we lived downstairs. So we all get together and watch it. Who would bring chips? Who would bring this? Who would bring that? We'd sit around the TV. We were all together. Wow. And we saw it happen together. (laughs) We we were like, we couldn't believe it. They said they were playing ahead of time. Who's going over this one's house? Who's going to get together? And then it happened. See, my brother that was two years older... Pat. Pat. Went um, into the service and went to Vietnam. Yeah. Okay, so Pat was... So Pat was... So Pat was not with you all when this happened? No. No, he was not. My brother came back and... Needless to say, my brother didn't come back the same. I can tell you that. I gotta tell you, your your teenage years were were kind of rough in a way. I mean, you know, you're going through these assassinations. Yep. Vietnam. So your brother's in the Vietnam yep. War. And oh, I remember the night he came back. I mean, when he came back, they spit on him. He was a green beret. Who spit they, on him? Oh. 
nobody wanted it in Moran. You know, he left the same night. He never came back. I didn't see my brother for years. So you mean neighbors, people that you knew just spit or just, you know, he was just shunned? They didn't want him. They shunned him. And why was this? I was I was babysitting them across the way at a neighbor's. And I got a phone call. Your brother's coming home. There was a big to-do. I remember the commotion. And then my brother took off. And he, he's not, wherever he is, God bless him, I love him dearly. But he's not the man I know. But he's still my brother. Absolutely. Absolutely. What was the sentiment, the general sentiment of um, of others, non-family members, when RFK was assassinated? Uh, what do you mean by others? Well, this hit your family hard, as you you know said, and you were sixteen years old at this. So you know, um, when you you know when you're in school, you're sixteen years old. That puts you a tenth grade sophomore in high school, right? I was. I, I'm going to be very upfront. Uh, I did not go to high school. My dad got very ill, and um, my brother was away, and. I was the oldest in the house, and my dad was very sick. Oh. And he was in his 50s. Um, I had to get out of school and support the family. I did not know that, so I would not have gone down that avenue if I... That's okay. Yeah, That's I okay. That. Uh, but uh, I... One up on me. I, I, um, I did get my high school diploma, and I did go to college. Good for you. And I did the, I did it the hard way, but I did it. My dad my dad died at fifty two years old. So young, so young. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I did it because I knew the family needed the help, and uh, I did it, and I did it willingly, and I'm not ashamed that I did it. Well, there's certainly nothing for you to be ashamed about, and here you are now in the year 2017, the 21st century. And how many beautiful children do you have? I have two of my own. I have two girls that I brought up. And, and um, that's what I have. And I have other children that uh, adopted me. <laughs> and how many grandchildren do you have? Oh, <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, I have a lot of grandchildren. Uh, from my... Um, Older son, I have two children. For my youngest son, I have three. For my oldest daughter, I have three. For my other daughter, I have one. And we also, just think about it now, we forgot to mention one of your, uh, one of your other sons. And that would be me, because you say you look upon me as a son. <laughs> yes, yes, I always do. I consider you uh, my son. <laughs> and then I have a daughter from Cameroon, and she has three. So you have yourself a big family, and you are certainly loved. And this hour has gone by real fast. So we're going to have well, to... Well, let me say just, just something about uh, Robert Kennedy. Go ahead. The day that man passed away, there were a lot of tears shed. Robert F. Kennedy um, was a man that was... He also was for the people, all people. And I want to say something. And I, I hope people don't take this wrong. I thought, to me in my heart, I thought racism is dead. Unfortunately, um, you got to be careful nowadays, but unfortunately, there are some out there. Um, years ago, twenty over about 30-some years ago, I married a Jewish man. And one day I get a phone call. 
and they have to speak to this man. And we were getting cards in the mail. And on that card, it, these were weird people. And I threw them away because I didn't know any better. They called him up and they said they were going to kill him. Now, this man was a Jew. Disgusting. Very disgusting. And I had to call the police. And they said, why didn't you show us the cards? I said, I thought, I didn't know what to think. And the swastikas on the temple down the street. This is in Peabody. What's Peabody? This happened to our family. Just horrible. Just horrible. Okay, so I'm telling you, I don't know why people do these things, but in my heart personally, I don't care what you are. I just see people as you human beings. See, you treat people the way you want to be treated. I personally choose, I choose personally to choose them with the love that God put in me. You know, absolutely. I don't care to follow your skin. Absolutely. The Bible tells us to um, love our neighbors, and uh, you know, we're all you know we're all here on this planet together. We've got to learn to live along, learn to uh, live and get along, and you know, certainly. But you know, this hour has flown by, and you know, we probably didn't do justice to everything. And so, I will have you mm-hmm. a guest again at some other point. You could be a multiple guest. I would be. I would love to have you and talk some more about you on this podcast so closing this but they didn't die in vain i'll tell you that right right so closing this podcast out because we're getting close this has been dudcast number five of btr hashtag btr beyond the rim so you can stream this podcast on youtube you can also stream it on itunes and podcast.com I'm your host, The Dudster, Nestor Dudley. Go follow me on Twitter at, at Nestor Dudley. So Twitter, at Nestor Dudley. Once again, I want to thank you to my guest, Josephine Royal, who I call Joey. And until next time, just want to say buenas noches, cooches, cooches. <laughs> I came in peace. I leave with love. Living cool. <laughs> I actually fucked up. My, I actually flubbed up my old, uh, my old catchphrase. I'm getting confused with the one with the PTR and the one from the uh, ATR. So, buenas noches, hoochers, coochers. I came in peace. I leave with love. This is for the red, the black, and the green. Living cool, living calm, living clean. I'm out. <laughs>